we had a, a wonderful day today, didn't we? Lots of fun and laughter and playing and community. <coughs> and Kellen, I feel so welcome here. We just love being here. And um, yeah, it's just even observing your community and see uniqueness and things that you do that makes us jealous. We say, we want that also to happen where we are. We want more of community. We want more of brother and sister and love. And we especially love how you are a multi-generational church. It's, it's not often that you see that. And it's beautiful. And I want you to, to nourish that and to make sure that you meet all the generations. Um, you've got people that are older now, that are gatekeepers, listen to their voices. They've got the scars on their bodies. <laughs> they know what they talk about when they say be careful. <laughs> Yet to see the, the vibrant youth and young people with the energy and Oh, it's beautiful. We thank you for allowing us to be with you in your community. You know, it was a tough morning for, for Eric and myself as we walked in Lohonga. We just arrived the previous night in Goma and it was so tough as we even had to get through the airport and they were trying to take away medicine that we had for orphans and just to see greed and injustice and arrogance and then the early the next morning to go out into Lohonga and to walk around and literally every few minutes as we walk through the huts, people will be lying in the sun outside their huts, uh, wanting the sun to bake on them because they all got um, fever, cold fevers, because they all got malaria. You know, it costs less than a dollar for me to treat them. That morning, I said to Eric, I don't care where I'll find the money. I don't care. Our budgets are very tight. Um, I don't care. But whoever you see with malaria, let's bring them in. Um, we brought 70 people within two hours. 70. All this long line outside this mud hut. If you want to, I can show you sometimes some photos and videos of that. And, and in this mud hut is Raziki. She's in her late 20s, worked for the Salvation Army. This woman is ruthless in her faith. She doesn't tell me that. The other people tell me. On a weekly basis, her life is threatened. On a weekly basis. And she refused to stop coming into that hellhole. She's a registered nurse, which is a scarce skill in that place. But she would go to Luhonga in a mud hut. I tell you, a mud hut. That we set up with the most basic medication and she would treat those people. And that morning we had 70 people, women, grandmothers, children lining up. And she's got to carefully test each one and then take them through the process. And as we stood there, I, I looked up and I saw two of our care workers, ladies, and they've got a, a man in the middle with his arms around their shoulders like this, and he was dragging his feet. And I must say, the first moment I looked at him, I thought, oh, all we need is a drunk guy to come here now. <laughs> yeah, I've got very little tolerance for that now. 
But I realized when he got there that this guy was so far already in fever that he was hallucinating already. I mean, there was foam coming out of his mouth. This guy was critically ill. And, and Riziki grabbed him and she took him into a little room in a hut. And I will never forget, she, there was this homemade bed. I mean, he didn't even have a proper mattress. But he was lying there and he was just twisting and turning. He was super wet with sweat. And, and she jumped on the bed and she hooked her drip onto the thatch. And she just, <laughs> just pushed the needle right into him. And she looked at, and right next to this man was a woman. And I only found out later that it was husband and wife. Alex and Faida. Both of them grew up as orphans. They found each other and they got married. They had three children and they both were dying of malaria the day I ended longer. And at the end of that day, after we've treated 70 people, I went to Riziki and I said to her, Riziki, how are we doing here with Alex? And I will never forget, I mean, Riziki is a salvationist. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, they know. They can handle most things. But she said to me, you better pray tonight because I don't think they will come through tonight. But she wasn't going to go home. She was going to stay in that matad at high risk, high risk. There's zero security. And when the sun goes down there, when we sleep there, they move us every two hours. Every two hours, they'll wake us up and say, come, let's move. And they'll move us around so people don't know where we are because it's very, very insecure. And here's Riziki, a, a lady of about 28 years, and she's in this mud hut the whole night. She refused to go home because she's fighting for Alex and Faida. Late the next day, by 5 o'clock, we were there again, and she said to us, the fevers broke. They broke through. And I tell you, it was just unbelievable. And the next day, they went home, and the next day, Eric and I went to Alex and Fahida's house to go and do a holy home visit. Now, I need to tell you, the night before, when I went home to go and sleep, I actually phoned Carolyn and I was just telling her about my day and suddenly I started telling her about Alex and Fida and I became so emotional that I started weeping and I said to her, Care, I just saved two people's lives. I literally saved their lives. If I didn't arrive there at that moment, if I didn't say, let's take them, if Riziki wasn't there, if we didn't have medicine, it's, they would have been dead. There would have been three more orphans. And I was so busy the whole day fighting, um, getting everything done. That, that afternoon late, when I was talking to Carol, I sat next to Lake Keith, and I overlooked the lake, and the sun went down, and I became quiet in my soul, and suddenly I realized, George, <laughs> Today, you saved two lives. Two young parents. So the next morning, here we were at Alex and Frida's house, and we sat and we talked to them, because they did not have one slice of bread in their house. I mean, they had zilt, zero. Not salt, nothing. 
and the three kids were sitting there. And we sat there and I wrestled. What do I do? How do I manage? How do I bring Jesus? How do I help? What do I, I mean, but you know, it's at that, that point zero, is that when you hit ground zero, where your faith, where you go beyond all your clever answers and your quick verses, and you, your face issues like that, where you cry out and say, Lord Jesus, speak, show, I'm not leaving here until you come. We didn't rescue Alex and Fahida so that nothing can happen. I want to see you. And as we sat there, and Alex realized in their lives were safe two days ago, the door just opened up. We started sharing Jesus. And the Holy Spirit came into that place. And I can tell you, I, I want you to know there were times that the presence of the Holy Spirit was so evident in places where I was that I felt I couldn't breathe. My, my throat felt like I was choking up with the presence and awesomeness of God. As I realized I am on holy ground right now. The Lord Jesus is here right now. Because this is where his heart is. And as I sat there, we hardly said anything. I just saw the gospel becoming so clear. And they started confessing. And they started saying things to me. And I said, God, how do they know these things? Nobody taught them. These guys have never been to school. I had two bananas in my backpack. That was there for me to eat that day. And as I walked away, I thought, I've got two bananas. And I took it out and I gave it to them. We walked past that house about an hour later. And Alex sat outside with his children and his wife and his mother in a circle. And I watched him cutting those two bananas up. Give each person a piece of banana. You know, today, Alex and Fahida are champions in that community. The last time I was there, I watched Alex. He's a role model for our boys now. He goes to the life center early in the morning. Then he sweeps. Something men don't do there. He would sweep. He would get firewood. Then he would play with the young men. He would bring Jesus to them. He will carry bags of maize for old women. He will go and fetch water. And Fahida... The women walk about three miles to get water every day to bring to our life center to cook. And then I will watch Fahida walking in the front as they sing hymns. God wants us to live meaningful, fruitful, beautiful lives. I listened to a testimony today. I sat in one of your small groups and somebody shared a testimony of a friend who lost uh, a close family member and how she pushed her way into the family. How she went further than that's comfortable and just the blessing that she was there. You know, I just sat there and I teared up as I listened and I realized not just how she served her friend but how she brought Jesus in a time of mourning and pain and brokenness. But here's the thing, she now, a year or two later, she's still feeding off that. You see, I'm still, I'm still benefiting my spirit is still growing. 
from what I did for Alex and Faida 18 months ago. I'm still in a place of rejoicing and, and praising God for His goodness that I could have seen this and I could identify with that. Friends, each one of you can live a life like that. You don't have to go to Africa to do that. But you have to know that you've been set apart as sons and daughters and that there's a broken world out there full of Alex and Fahidas. But there are Zikis that will help you, that will partner with you. And together, you guys will form this tapestry of Jesus, regardless what the government and whoever. doesn't matter. The more hostile they are, the more beautiful your tapestry will look like. Because that love is irresistible. That love that we showed Alex and Fahida there, the whole Luhonga saw that that day. How do you argue against love like that? So, in our first session, okay, we spoke about what do you want? Where's your heart? What do you desire? In the second session, we spoke about Stepping into the circle. Believing into Jesus. Okay? We said it's not good enough to say, oh, I believe in Jesus. The demons believe in Jesus. But it is to actively step into the circle of the triune community and to become that part of that mysterious union and to let it flow like the vine and the branches. John 15, is it? It flows, a heart of flesh, living, being the living stones of the body of Jesus. Oof, I don't want to get distracted, but you're mad. Have you ever thought we are literally the, the body of Jesus? Literally. It's us. Jesus made this incredible verses. He said, as the Father has sent me, I now send you. It means you and I have got exactly the same mandate that Jesus had. To bring the good news to the poor. To heal the broken hearted. To comfort those who mourn. We've been called. We are now the body, the ecclesia. It's you and I. We are part of Jesus. He's flowing through us. Can you hear me? <laughs> Can somebody smile at me? <laughs> I ask you to give me a few minutes tonight. I know, you must be so tired of me. I mean, I'm tired of myself. <laughs> I think, Lord, couldn't there be three speakers? If they see me, I think, Lord, you go, <sighs> But I, I want to urge you tonight Dig with me into Jesus. Dig with me. Brothers and sisters, we are the body of Jesus Christ. There's nothing outside us. It's up to you and me to let that heart that Jeremiah prophesied to flow through us and to bring life and hope to a world that's not surviving. The, the Alex 
and the fajitas are everywhere, dying without us, physically, spiritually. So this evening, the third one is, I surrender my all. I hope that the first session helped us to see how divided our hearts so often can be. Like Israel, remember Israel did not reject the Lord. They, they I mean, go read Isaiah, they did all the feasts and all the things. But they had a divided heart. They worshipped the Lord and they had idols. I don't know about you, but when I studied this and I dug deep into it, friends, that's true of me many, many times. And my God is a jealous God. Not the bad jealous that you and I are sometimes. But He's jealous for us. And He say, I want an undivided heart on nothing. I'm not interested. Remember the picture about the young man asking the lady for a hand? I want you to take that picture home with you. I pray that the Holy Spirit will show you every time that you or I respond like that to the one who's asking for our hand. That we say, yes, I want to be your bride. I want you to come and fetch me. But if it's okay if I just hang around with a few other people in the meantime. I want that message to burn in your spirit because tattoo it in your heart. Because it's love. It's about love. And the only way you and I can surrender Everything. And tonight we start that journey. The only way we can do that is if we understand that love. And I want to take us back to the Old Testament again. I know I take us there constantly because I want to start there and show you it's the same God in the Old Testament. He's never changed. I want us to read from Zephaniah 3 verse 14 to 20. So, we're doing the second part of Jeremiah 24-7 tonight. The first part is, I will give you a heart, and you will be my people, I'll be your God. The second part is that we will return to Him with all of our heart. That is surrender, right? Now that we know He's going to give us that heart, now that we know He loves us, now the response is, I return to you with all of my heart. So before we can say, let's return with all our hearts, let's hear again, who do we return to? Let's catch a few heartbeats here of who we want to return and surrender to. So let me read you from Zephaniah 3, verse 14 to 20. This is the father speaking of Israel, the wayward, rebellious child. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He sang this to them while they were in exile. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said in Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. 
Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. He will sing over you. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer approach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown it all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that, I will gather you together. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the people of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Can you hear that heart of the Father? Can you hear that heart crying out? I will restore you. I want you. I want to sing over you. I'm jealous for you. I'm calling you. Come to me. Come to me. You are the crown. You are my crown position. But come home. Come home. How is it, how is it possible to receive or even just to comprehend this love and grace and not to render our hearts and our lives. I want to tell you something about Carolyn. The way she serves me, I so often feel undeserved. I so often think, God, why does he go that extra, extra, extra mile all the time? You know, you know that love is irresistible. You can't argue against that love. I, I cry before God every day, Father, you, I'm holding you accountable to change my heart, to be a better husband, to, to love better, to give more, and to die to self. Everything that stops me from giving Carolyn more love in a better way must be dealt with ruthlessly. Why? Because I made a vow in front of people before I signed a, a document? No. No. Because that woman doesn't stop loving me. It doesn't matter if I'm moody or under pressure or short or happy. Or, it doesn't matter what face I have. It does not matter. I'm telling you the godly truth. Her love is unconditional for me. And that, that makes me not see things in her which I 
don't want to see, don't agree with, don't like. They are so minute and small in comparison with her love. So her love only does one thing to me. Every day I aspire to give more of myself, to give more, and I fall short, I fall massively short, hugely. But I don't condemn myself, I don't feel guilty, I don't feel bad, because that love is in her heart. So every day I get up, I praise Jesus for giving Carolyn to me, and I say, Lord, I want to love more, give me a new heart. I know you want me to love her more. And I hope, I hope, people that know me can say, we've seen you grow in your love for Carolyn. This year, 39 years. I promise you, I promise you, I love Carolyn more tonight than I've ever loved her in that 39 years. I promise you. Why? Because of her love for me. It's irresistible. That that's the same with God. How how can we one day, guys, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. One day, we're going to see the return of Jesus. We're going to see the Father. We're going to see it with our eyes. It's going to happen. If you want to bet, bet on that. No, I'm serious, guys. You, you, look at the, you look at the prophecies. How many of them got fulfilled? Some people say, yeah, but your, uh, Isaiah's prophecy wasn't written 800 years before Christ. It was written 500. I don't care if it was written the day before he was born. I don't care. How did they know? How did they write Isaiah 53 and, and articulate the crucifixion in more detail than the New Testament? It was written, Peter say, it's written for you and me to read and to say, this is real, this is trustworthy, this God is there, He's coming again, He loves us, He's got a plan for us, even though the world bombards us with so many things, you've got a rock you can stand on, and if you hold on to that, you'll have a testimony. I wish I have got time to tell you just testimony after testimony after testimony how God will literally warn me minutes before something happened. He will speak to me so clear, so clear. He will give me advice, guide me. He is there for each one of us. The thing is, do we surrender to that? Do we tune into that frequency? Do we hear that voice? Or do we hear many frequencies and many noises? And he's inviting us, even in the midst of us being distracted by so many things. You know, when you speak to somebody, <laughs> and they stand there and they look over your shoulder, who else are there? <laughs> you know that feeling. You're just a prop until you find somebody more important. That's how, that's what we do with God. I mean, imagine. And yet he's saying, I, I'm not giving up on you. I'm not going to let go. I'm going to fight for you till the very end. I believe you're going to come through. And many of us will come through. I trust God, every one of us. will. If I mean come through, get into that rich place of fellowship with Jesus where we hear Him every day and we move 
our being in Christ. But the thing is, friends, I tell you as somebody that's been that's old now, in that many, many people I know are there now, but they've got so much regrets because for years and years they would not submit and surrender to that. And they look back and there are skeletons all over the place. I don't want that for you. I don't want you to get to a place and say, oh, I am in a fullness of God now. But you know, when I went through my 40s and my 30s, I did this and I caused that. and That's not God's plan for us. He's got a much bigger and better plan for us. He's got a plan for us to be a blessing, to bring hope, to bring life, to rescue people physically, spiritually, emotionally. He wants to use us. He chose us. Do we allow that? You know, God revealed himself right from the book of Genesis. I mean, in the first place it was in Genesis 16, where Hagar ended up in a desert. Where Sarah chased her away. She was expecting with a, a baby. And Abraham, it was Abraham's baby, right? And there in the desert, God met her. Just insignificant foreigner, <laughs> foreign slave woman, pregnant, chased away. And the God of the universe made her his business because he's a father. <laughs> and he connects with her. And the first person in the Bible that gave God a name was this foreign slave girl. Come on, say a hallelujah to God for that. That Can you imagine? It wasn't this big bishop or what. It was a foreign slave girl. And she called him El Rohe. The God who sees me. <laughs> and I want to tell you, God sees you. He sees you. He knows you intimately. He knows everything about you. And he's got plans to work in and through you. I met Vumi in uh, the same village where I met Alex and uh, Fahida. But I met her years before them. The first time I met her, I was at a feeding point. We were feeding 150 children. And I tell you, we only had a budget for 90, but we were feeling 150 <laughs> because it's so hard to say no. But we stretched that budget, then it couldn't go any further. And so we, we didn't have our own place. It was just under a tree in a community. And as we were feeding 150 people, I sat there and I looked at that and I said, God, you are good. Look at this. Hallelujah. You know, I was just so happy. 150 kids, no hope eating. And then I looked up, and there sat a girl, and she had uh, a material like that over her head. And she sat there, and she locked eyes with me. And I knew, I knew I could not invite her to come and eat with us. Because if I invited her, there's another 200 kids outside waiting. I tried to look away literally try to look away and I will look back and she will have her eyes on me like that eventually I looked her in the eye and the tears just ran out of my eyes I just wept 
And I just said, God, I just trust that she will see the tears in my eyes and know I can't help her. You know how tough that is? She eventually, she got up and she walked away, very graciously, just walked away. Later that day, as we were doing holy home visits, I was walking, I look up and I saw her, and I said to Eric, our leader in the Congo, I said, I'm going there, come. We went there, I found her, I want to tell you very quickly a story. <clears throat> her mother was killed with nine of her siblings. She was, she and her father were the only survivors. And her father was a drunkard. He married a woman whose name is Devosha. And between her father and this woman, they beat the living daylights out of this poor child every day. When I met her, she had malaria and she hasn't eaten for three days. Nobody cared about that. Back at home was violence. And that strange woman lived in a house where her mother and her siblings lived where everybody got killed, and every night she must go back to that house, and she gets beaten up. I found her there. You know, I took her to the clinic, and we put her in, and I put a drip on her. I will never forget. I had, uh, actually, it might even have been one of your protein bars that you smuggled to Africa for me. And I, I walked away, and I remember I had a protein bar, and I took it, and I gave it to her. And she took the protein bar, and for the first time, she looked up and she went like this to me. Just, just the slightest, I see you. Vumi got healed. Vumi came back. Vumi went to our care point. But you know, Vumi was so broken. And she still had to go home to that place every night. that she ran into the mountains. In fact, I had to go and look for her in the mountains twice. I had to go and hunt her down in the mountains. That's a long story I can tell you one day. But we found her every time in the mountains and we brought her back. And eventually, Eric led her stepmother to the Lord, Devosha. Her stepmom is one of our best care workers now. And so, Vumi got saved. Vumi eventually moved to Katembe. She got married. She, she's one of our care workers in Katembe now. But because the whole community watched what we did for Vumi, it meant other people who were desperate, hopeless, they see El Rohe, they see God working, and they look. And so one day I was at the same place and I met Baraka. I, I don't have time to tell you, but I'll tell you what I saw that day and what happened broke my heart. It like really broke my heart. I was so devastated by how she was abused. I thought she. When I found out his name is Baraka and that little dress full of holes is the only clothing he has. So he walks every day in that community, people laughing at him, mocking him. Because he's a boy walking in a dress that's torn to pieces. But you know, God saw Alex and Fahida, and that led to Vumi. 
And God saw Vumi, and that led to Baraka. And God saw Baraka. You know, straight after Baraka, as people start talking now, people start knowing who are these people that reach out to them. As we did holy home visits, we found this grandmother. She was so broken, she would beat up her grandchildren with a stick. This is her words, until the foam comes out of their mouths. And she said, I don't know why I do it, because I love them. They're my grandchildren. But I get so angry, I get so anxious, I get so overwhelmed, that I beat them up. And we could say to her, you're not a bad person. You are brain damaged. You've been traumatized. But I know somebody that can heal you. You know, Bindu, let, literally, that was a place he fell on her knees. Bindu led her to the Lord there. Right there. Powerful, see the living God coming into that house where she wept and say, Jesus, I don't want to be like this anymore. I want to surrender. Talk about surrender. I want to give my life. I'm sick of this life. I need a new heart. I need new life. Now this is happening. And as this is happening, remember Jesus spoke about the harvest is ready. The harvest is white. And so, outside this now, wherever we work, there are people watching us. And this is, this is painful. This, this widow, with those four or five kids standing outside, there's another photo, I think, of other people watching. These, they are standing from here to the camera from us, where we love children, care for them, pray for them, sing over them, bring Jesus. These people are standing... Guys... How do you think how do you think my father feels about that? How do you think my father feels when Alex and Fahida comes in and they become part of this movement? How do you feel God felt when I went to Baraka with Bindu and we gave him a brand new set of clothing? <laughs> Should have seen him. He slipped in those clothes. He wouldn't he wanted to bath in that clothes. He doesn't want to take them off. Look at that. Waiting. Ready. Who will come? Who will reach out? Who will bring hope? Who, who can help us? We are tormented. You know... In Luke 7 verse 44, I'm going to finish again. In Luke 7 verse 44, Jesus who ate at Simon's house, the Pharisee, and then the sinful woman came with the alabaster and, and she wept over Jesus and everybody had a whiff about it. And Jesus said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I'm asking you tonight, my brothers and my sisters, do you see them? The God who sees you, El Roy, who found you in a desert, do you see this woman? Do you see the people around you? I, cro I went to a city the other day. I crossed, what do you call it? Crosswalk, yeah. We call it a zebra, zebra crossing. 
I crossed. Busy, 8 o'clock in the morning. People go like this. Halfway in the middle of this five-lane road, a woman come walking past me and God said to me, stop and stop her. I walk right in front of her and I stopped her. And she looked at me and I look at her and I said to her, how are you this morning? And she snapped. She said to me, don't you come to me. I knew you were going to come to And it, I'm telling you, it's in a city. I've never been in that place. The spit, the violence, the anger. I just put my hand on her and I just said to her, I speak peace over you. And the tears just came. The tears just, guys, where was she that previous night? What did they do to her? She's the one who crossed the road with you. You are the hands and the feet of a father whose heart is exploding for his people. Jesus said to Simon, do you see this woman? And the question is, do we really see them? Or do we see a theological problem or an ethical dilemma? Do we see the people God wants us to see? I'm not going to read this. I want you to take it home, maybe for tonight. Luke 13, 10 to 17. It's the woman that was bent in two, like double, bent over. And Jesus healed her. But the question I'll ask him when I read that passage, so how many years was that woman in that synagogue? And who saw her before Jesus got there? You know, everybody will tell you, oh yeah, she's here. Oh, that woman, yeah, no, she's with her. But did you really see her? Did you see her with a heart that's totally surrendered and tapped into the heart that Jeremiah prophesied, I will send the Messiah and he will give you a heart of flesh and he will pump into your ribcage and through your veins and his spirit will flow through you and you will see people in a different way. You know, it's so interesting she was fought forward. Jesus touched her and she got healed and she could walk straight. Now you can take that parallel to Leviticus 26.13 <laughs> where Jesus said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you may not be their slaves. I have broken the bars of your yoke, and make you walk upright. <laughs> Jesus made me walk upright. I mean, I don't know about you. I was folded up forward. I was a disaster. There was a generational curse on me. Alcoholism right through. My father was an orphan. I was, I was in a downhill heading for a collision at the speed of light. Honestly, guys, I should have died many times already. There was no hope. My closest friends, people want Carolyn. My friends want Carolyn when she started going out of me. Just stay away from him. He's restless. He will never settle. That's true. I would never have settled. I was bent forward. But Jesus made me stand up straight. And everything in my life changed. Let me give this to us to meditate on. 
we have many examples of how Jesus was seeing people. He saw the, he saw the blind beggar. He saw the woman bleeding. He saw the leper. Can you remember when Jesus saw you the first time? Maybe some of us have never had that experience. I'm going to tell you, he see you tonight. And he's saying to you, come home. And if it's another voice saying to you, I can't, what will people say? <laughs> Don't worry about that. It's a time that each and every one of us had to come home. And I want to ask you, can you see others around you? As the body of our beloved Jesus, who's got such a heart for San Francisco, this liberal, <laughs> I can't wait to go to City Impact, honestly. It, brings, it, it makes me alive. I burn like a fire when I go there. I mean, the Honestly, the bigger the sin, the happier I am. I'm serious. Man, it's so easy to shine for Jesus when you go into those places. I went to City Impact. I'll stop now. Okay. I went to City Impact the last time. We knocked on doors. We were not allowed to go in. Just they open. We say, hello, how are you? We just want to give you something. By the third door, I said, no more. Knocked on the door. Our leader turned around and walked away. As you want to close, I put my foot at the door. I really, I did. And I said, ma'am, if you don't want me to come in, I won't come in. So elderly lady, I had a woman there with me. She said, you, you, you want to come in? I said, I would love to come in. I tell you, I walked in there, it smelled. It was terrible. And I sat down. She didn't even ask me my name. It was just like, and an hour and a half later, she poured her life out. And I told her about the one who brings life. You're going to have to put your foot in the door. You're going to have to. Because that's what Jesus did for you. Make you surrender tonight. And every day from today. As young as you are. I meet young people all over the world and I tell you, it's normally at that age, seriously, it's that age where God's calling comes. 90% of the people that come and work in hands full-time received their call before they were 15. Don't despise the younger ones. God spoke to Samuel when he was a, a, a child. God calls young people. And the quicker He calls them, the quicker they get equipped, the less they get contaminated by the world, the further they can go for the kingdom of Jesus. Cultivate that calling among your young people. And I'm not just talking about Africa, but you can bring them. I'm talking about San Francisco. I'm talking about holy lives. Elroy. May God see your heart tonight and encourage you. Let me pray for us.
I love you, Lord, and I lift your name above all the earth. You are the light of my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You are the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be scared of? When you speak, the earth melts. Melt my heart tonight, Lord. Speak to me in that soft, gentle voice. That voice that you spoke to Samuel about. Call me. Call me by my name. And I want to say, Yes, Lord. I am here. I am hearing. I'm listening. Holy Spirit, may you continue to move among us tonight, tomorrow, and next week to the glory of our Father who loved us so much that He sent His Son to be sacrificed. In Jesus' name, Amen.